Today is Easter, and that is more than a holiday. Can I get an amen today? There's no other time that this many people will come together for one person or one event. Our God, our risen King, still draws people to Him, still elevates Himself and His kingdom above any other in our entire world. You might look and say, well, darkness is growing more and this is growing more. He is still King of kings and Lord of lords. Are you with me today? People make a big deal out of the Super Bowl. Well, the entire world stops and watches the Super Bowl every year. They say about 118 to 120 million people across the world will watch the Super Bowl uh, in, in, in January, whenever it's played February. But they say the estimation is that today over 3 billion people on every single continent will worship the risen king today. How many know it's a big deal? And that's not by accident. It's because God is alive and he's moving in people's lives. Worldwide, Christianity is growing faster than it ever has. The church, the body of Christ, is larger than China, Europe, and the United States combined. Yet this all started with numbers like the 12 disciples. We knew it grew into then 120 followers, and now 2,000 years later, over 3 billion people, almost one out of every three people in planet Earth will worship or will pause and will reflect to worship God today. What's amazing about it is Jesus never wrote anything down. It's not like he gave us these sophisticated books of his own writings. Now we know God's word is inspired and has given us the Bible, but it's not like he had some great, great plan of literature that got spread. He didn't write anything down. We also know uh, about the Bible is that it's the best-selling book, not just of all time, but every single year. His word, his truth is the best-selling book. We know that there are more uh, art. There's not any more art, statues, building, or architects, or songs. All of those put together for one man, Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. There's more of that than any other combined. Why? Because God is alive and he's moving. He's changing people's lives. Are you with me? Jesus in his life is the most documented person in human histories. Historians use the book of Acts to rediscover land to this day. Jesus never traveled more than 200 miles, yet his message is worldwide. I thought about it like this. Literally, this date, anytime you write the date, you're given an account to the evidence of the resurrection. Your birth date, every time you throw a birthday, it's again evidence of the split in history where Jesus came up out of that grave. There's no greater fact attested to in history than the empty tomb and the resurrected appearances of Jesus. So when Jesus said, it is finished, he very clearly did not say, I am finished because he's still moving today. We know the work of the cross can't be buried. We know that it can't be censored and it certainly won't be canceled. Can I get an amen today? Jesus is just getting started. The title of my sermon today is The God Who Shows Up For Us. Aren't you grateful we serve a God who shows up for us? Not just 2,000 years ago, but I believe we serve a God who can still show up for us today. Can I get an amen? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for today, this day that you have made. And God, we all come from different backgrounds and different walks of life, but God, we know your truth reigns, and we ask that it does today in this room. Lord, we pray that you speak to us, you encourage us, you motivate us, change us into who you called us to be. I thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Again, the title of my sermon, The God Who Shows Up For Us, we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we get the whole account of the resurrection, meaning Jesus goes into the tomb, we see that he's then discovered to be out of the tomb, and we pick up on these uh, in those accounts. Now today, I'm going to spend more time in John, the, John's Gospel. We know John being a disciple. Uh, we know he's someone who walked with Jesus for about three and a half years. We're going to take a look at his account of the resurrection, and we'll find most of that in John 21 and 22. But here's what's interesting and what I want to focus on today. You know, Jesus could have went to the cross and he still could have resurrected. He still could have come up out of that grave and ascended into heaven and they would have had no body. They would have had no proof of anything else. But the reality is he could have said, I win and maybe sent a message from heaven or split the skies. But yet he chose to spend about 40 days after resurrection walking among people. We know he spent about 40 days on earth. We also know that just in one story alone, he appeared to about 500 people, again, as a resurrected body, Jesus in front of people. Uh, And so 40 days on earth, we know that hundreds of witnesses saw this. And so Jesus was very intentional and purposeful about showing up post-resurrection. Jesus doesn't make mistakes. Everything's calculated and intentional. And so what kind of message is he trying to send post-resurrection? Why would he walk among the people and and the people that he chose to walk among? Why did he choose those people? And so today I've pulled three things, three people, three stories that he showed up into post-resurrection that I think have a huge message for us. I believe this, if God did it in scripture, he wants to do it in your life. If he showed up, post-resurrection to certain people with the message, I believe he wants to send you that same message today. Can I get an amen? Amen. So let's start with John chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. This is the apostle John, of course, the disciple who I mentioned. He's writing this. And what I love about the Bible is you can always find humanity in this. You can always find yourself in these writings. I love that the Bible is made up of real people following a real God. And so we're going to have some fun with the Apostle John today. It says this, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter. Now this is John writing this. So he says, so she came running to Simon Peter, and he says this about himself. And the other disciple, the one Jesus loved... <laughs> So he's like, yeah, Peter, but then the one Jesus loved. (laughs) Got to make sure I put that in there. He said, they have taken the Lord and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples, still John, started to started to run to the tomb. And then it says this, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. So he was faster. He was faster. So he's making sure we know that. Goes on to say, and reached the tomb first. I won. I got there first. (laughs) Verse five. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there and did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him because he was slower. You need to know that. It's really. And he went straight into the tomb. And when he had saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. What we would understand here is when they first looked in, they would have been like, well, maybe someone took the body. Maybe someone took it. It's been stolen, whatever. But once they looked upon the way the cloth and the linens were laying, they said, no, that's perfectly in place. His body wouldn't have been moved. It was clear and obvious that his mortal body, his body was resurrected. This is when they would go, no, no, no. Someone didn't take him. He was resurrected. Then it says in verse eight, one more time, John's got to make it clear. Verse eight, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and saw and believed. Now I would do this different. 
post-resurrection, you would probably do this different. Even this week, I kind of pulled some of the staff like, hey, if you came back from the dead after the persecution, after the cross, the mockery, the violence that you suffered, if you came back alive, what were some of the first things you would do? And I began to poll the staff and ask them some of the moves that they would make. And we all had different answers, but none of the answers were the things that Jesus did. And Jesus is completely intentional. It's because every step he took post-resurrection, he was sending all of us a message that we can find ourselves in. If it was me, I would have got out of the tomb and I would have found the highest hill or the biggest Colosseum and I would have gathered up all of the media and I would have said, everybody come over here because I got something vengeful to say. I'm really going to let people know some things about my resurrection, but he didn't do that. Another thing you might have thought was maybe his heart would have been for his family. I mean, you know, the last time he saw his mom, she was crying at the foot of the cross, the scripture said. So maybe Jesus would have said, hey, I'm going to show compassion and care to my mom. And that's a step that I'm going to take. But he didn't take that either. Maybe if it were me, I would have instead of maybe grabbing a hill, I would have said, hey, um, about that guy, Pilate. Where's that guy, Pilate? Let's go take a little visit. And the guy who uh, put me in this whole thing, the guy who got me falsely uh, crucified, uh, that guy who sentenced me, let's go pay Pilate a little visit. But he didn't do that. Maybe another thing I would have done is all of those people that spit on me and mocked me and threw things at me while I carried their cross for them. It might be fun to just show up to them and say, Hi, how's it going? Another one would be the religious leaders, the know-it-alls. Come on, we love to get the religious leaders, don't we? Maybe Jesus was like, uh, hey, those religious leaders, we had two kinds. We had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees, they would have believed in no bodily resurrection. They would have been like, nope, that's not happening. That's not what happens. And, and so they wouldn't have believed in that. So how fun that would that have been to these people who would have said, yeah, there's no resurrection. There's no. And so Jesus gets to show up to them in their spot and be like, how you doing? <laughs> I'm here. Three days. But he does none of this stuff. He does none of the things that we would have done. But yet in his meekness, he shows up to some of the most unlikely people. Because why? Because he's trying to send a message that applies to all of us today. And we're going to look at those three things. What we do know is he first didn't show up to the disciples. He didn't show up to church. He didn't find the holiest people. He didn't go get the pastor. He didn't go find somebody who never misses a Sunday. Instead, he showed up first to a woman named Mary. One of the things we can see in this is that Jesus values everyone. Shows up to a woman first. As a matter of fact, we see in scripture, the first time the gospel, the telling of Jesus' resurrection, was ever commissioned, it was commissioned to a woman. Go and preach and tell that Jesus has been resurrected. Can I get an amen in Zealand today? Okay, probably not. That's all right. But scripture says that he shows up to this woman. What an interesting choice to, to show up your first post-resurrection appearance is to this woman. John chapter 20, verse 11, the scripture says that the guys had already gone ahead, but Mary stays back. And it says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, scripture says, Jesus appears. He makes his first appearance as this woman is crying as she's weeping. She wasn't just stressed. This woman was deeply hurting. She was heartbroken. Like she was really not okay. And Jesus says, of all the places I could show up, I'm going to find the one who's hurting post-resurrection of all the fanfare. I could have went and got the, 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 the week before people, the Palm Sunday people that are shouting Hosanna and making this a big deal. And you know what Jesus' post-resurrection heart is for? The one who really isn't okay. You might have dragged yourself here today with a fake Easter smile coming in here and you're really hurting this morning. 
and you're thinking to yourself, boy, I got to have it together. It's Easter. I better put on a smile. Everybody's going to be happy. And Jesus' post-resurrection attention is given to the one who's really hurting. Can I tell you something today? Jesus' attention and heaven's attention post-resurrection is still for the hurting. Can I get an amen today? Shows up and say, hey, you're hurting? That doesn't turn me away. I'm actually attracted to that. Can I get an amen today? Challenge you today. You don't have to be fake. Heaven notices when we hurt. Scripture says she bent over and looked into the tomb in verse 12. It says, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken the Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Again, Jesus sees the hurting and he stands there. And with all of the hurting going on in her life, she turns around and she can't even recognize Jesus in all of her hurt. And yet Jesus says, Mary, I'm here for your hurting. She didn't even recognize Again, we would be coming back being like, where's the tambourines and the shouting and the flag waving? Jesus is not drawn to that. Now, he celebrates it. We do it in worship. It's a part of it. But Jesus is saying, hey, I am here for the hurting. Psalm says it this way. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So what do we do today in our hurt on Easter? What do we do with this? This knowing that Jesus is here for the hurting. We do the same thing Mary does. Scripture says that she looked at him and Jesus said, Mary, because he knows her personal. My encouragement to you if you're hurting this morning is this, look for him. He's closer than you think and he's more alive than you know. Look for him today. Look for him in your hurting. The scripture says uh, one of the names of God is the name Elroy. Elroy. Not like Cody's cousin in Virginia, but Elroy. (laughs) Elroy. And it means this, literally the characteristic in the nature of God, Elroy, it means this, the God who sees. we got a God who sees. Now, bad preaching would preach it this way. God sees, and he's going to get you. He's the God who sees, and he's going to get you. But it also comes from this place of compassion and care for the hurting. Hey, God sees, and he's going to meet you where you're at. Can I get an amen today? So point number one is that Jesus shows up for us when we're hurting. The next person that we see Jesus appear to post-resurrection as he's making a statement is he shows up to this guy named Thomas. Now, many of you, you hear it and you think of the Bible. Now you've automatically thought of doubting Thomas. This poor guy, doubting Thomas, 2,000 years later, he's still carrying the rep of doubting Thomas, even though he doubted one time. One time this guy doubts, and now he's doubting Thomas forever. Now, what do we know about Thomas? is that he walked with the Lord. He was with Jesus for three or three and a half years, and he would have seen the miracles. He would have seen prophecies fulfilled. He would have seen all of these things as he walked with Jesus. But after the crucifixion, Thomas just found himself in a place of doubt where he said, this is it, guys. The mission's over. Like, I just can't believe it. I can't bring myself to believe all this. I just can't take myself to that place to believe that Jesus is going to be resurrected and all of these things. And so he finds himself in this doubting place as if the mission is over. John chapter 20 gives us a picture of this. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. Jesus appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't with them. And so now they're saying to Thomas, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Thomas said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
Maybe you're doubting today. Maybe you're one that comes in and you see people get excited and you see them excited about Easter and God and you hear us passionately sing these songs and tell the stories and and be motivated. But maybe you're in here like, I got to experience it before I can believe it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm doubting. I still have doubts. Maybe you're that. What I'm here to tell you this morning is God's not scared of your doubts. It doesn't put Jesus off that you bring doubts into this atmosphere. John chapter 20 will prove this. John 20, 26 says this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. What's interesting about this story is they had all the doors locked. The scripture talks right here. It says, though the doors were locked, they were hiding from government. They're all locked in. And this time Thomas is with them. Okay, so they're all locked in. They're hiding. This time Thomas is with them. It says, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And it makes this next line very necessary because he walked right through the walls on them. Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. (laughs) Again, very necessary if you just walked through the walls to say something like that. But here's my point of this, this part. When Jesus came through the doors, you know what he didn't do? He didn't go, really, Thomas? Doubts? Seriously, bro? Get out. Doubts? You're doubting. Seriously? You walked with me for three and a half years. You saw the miracles. You saw the prophecies fulfilled. You saw all these things happen. How can you be a person of doubt? Get out of here. Because many times in our lives, we see God move in our life. We see God's hand upon our life. We see God use us in many miraculous ways. And maybe you encounter a hurt or an offense or something tragic happens in your life. And, and you say, this surely means God's not alive and he's not true and I can't experience him. And so we have these doubts hit us. And, and we go, and we go, God, I'm doubting, I'm doubting. And Jesus doesn't show up and go, really? Get out, really? You're doubting, you must be out of here. He doesn't say really. Instead, the scripture says this. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and reach and put your hands to my side. But then he gives this key phrase. He says, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. God's not afraid of our doubts. He's not afraid of our saying, oh God, I need to see it. But this is what he's saying. Stop being somebody who doubts and start being somebody who believes. He's saying, stop being somebody who doubts. You can have your doubts. That doesn't disqualify you. But I need you to move from a doubting person to somebody who reaches to experience me. He said, Thomas, just just reach out and experience me. Just come here and see, are you with me today? You may be hurt by church, but I'm here to tell you on Easter morning, Stop doubting if you can ever reconnect in church. Reach out and experience him again. You may have been hurt by church people, but I'm here to tell you this morning, stop doubting if you can ever get plugged back into the body again because God is saying, just reach out and experience me again. You may be in the room and you may say, oh, it just takes way too much faith for me to believe all that stuff. It's way too much for me to believe all that. I'm here to tell you, reach out and experience Jesus again. Can I get an amen today? Because God is not afraid of our doubts. Point number two is this. Jesus shows up for us when we're doubting. Jesus isn't turned off by our doubts. Verse 28 says this. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I'm here to tell you on Easter, God is saying to you, this congregation, who, as far as I know, you haven't seen Jesus. Jesus is saying to you this morning, you're blessed because you haven't seen, but you believe. 
Think about that this morning. These words right here are coming true in your life because you're sitting in a place in an atmosphere right now where you're believing though you haven't seen. Isn't that amazing? I'll close with this. Last point is this. Another person showed up, Jesus showed up for, and it's the final person we're going to look at. Jesus showed up for a huge failure, a huge failure, and we know him by the name of Peter. Now, Peter wasn't the mess up. He wasn't typically the one who messes everything up. As a matter of fact, Scripture says at one point, Jesus looked at Peter and was like, yeah, you, Peter, my guy, you're my guy. On you, this solid rock, I'm going to build my church. Like if anyone was qualified to wear a Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt, it was Peter. It was Peter. Like, yeah, Peter, you're on that rock, that solid, that solid rock. You're my God, I'm going to build my church. But then at the Last Supper, Jesus, the disciples are all gathered around, and Jesus says to Peter, he's like, hey, um, for the rooster crows in the morning, you're actually going to deny me. And Peter's like, please, come on. There's no, I'm your, I'm your guy. I'm not denying you. He's literally going like, there's no way. Guys, everybody, look at this. Listen to me. Everybody check this. Listen to me. There's no way. But we know the story. He does it. He does it. He turns his back on Jesus and he denies him. And we know that that happens. And so now Peter's thrown into this mindset and this lifestyle of I'm such a failure. Such a mess up. I can't believe that I screwed this whole thing up. You know what Jesus' response, you know how he shows up in Peter's life after his failure? He doesn't show up into Peter's life with anger. He doesn't show up into Peter's life with sadness and disappointment and frustration. As a matter of fact, he shows up with great attention for the condition that Peter found himself in, feeling like a failure. So no, no, when I reappear, when, I, when I'm post-resurrection appearing to people, Peter's going to be on my heart because I know the sad condition that he's going to be in feeling like a failure. You know, Mark's account of the post-resurrection Mark's account of it says this, that the angel tells the disciples, hey, go, or t- says go, the angel says, go tell the disciples, but then says it this way, and Peter. Isn't that amazing that heaven was like, hey, go tell the disciples, but make sure you tell Peter also because I know the condition he's in and he's probably feeling like such a mess up. So make sure you tell Peter. You know what heaven didn't say about Peter and his failure? Go tell the disciples, but skip Peter. He gets what he deserves. There's no grace for him. He, he deserves the condition that he's in because no, heaven was like, hey, in your failure, I want to show up for you. I want to be there for you. I want to put you back on your feet. Can I get an amen today? Jesus knew his condition and he drew near him. Scripture says that later the disciples were having a meal. The top of your Bible might say Jesus reinstates Peter. Might be what the headline is, Genesis 21, 15. So they're having a meal, and Jesus is now back reconnected with Peter. And it says this, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now the word that Jesus would have used here would, would, would have been one of four Greek words for love. He would have used the word agape, which means unconditional love or no circumstance in which I won't love you. So he's used the word agape, There's four kinds of love. Storge is family kind of love. You might have it for your kids or your family. Uh, Eros love is romance. It's erotic. It's where we get that word. And phileo would be a friendship kind of love, like Philadelphia of brotherly love. So that's a friendship kind of love. And Peter says back to him when he asked that question, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you, but he changes the word and uses the word for friendship, phileo. Like I can't go in my condition to the unconditionally kind of love 
because I'm such a failure. I'm such a mess up. There's no way that I can love you the way you love me. I just can't, I can't go there because I'm a failure. But then Jesus asked him again. He asked again in verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. But he said, friendship again. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The time before he said, feed my lamb. But what was he saying in his message? He was saying, even in that condition, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. It wasn't a rejection of failure. It was an invitation to continue to be a part of what Jesus was doing. Post-resurrection, the message from Jesus to us and our failures is, no, no, you can still come be a part of this. Can I get an amen today? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? My final point was that Jesus shows up for us when we are failing, when we're messing it up. Do you know that God has always been treating people this way in their failure? Scripture says that in Genesis Adam and Eve, they're in the garden and it's perfect. And God says, don't eat of that tree. And of course, we all know that they do. They eat the apple. The scripture says that because sin uh, is now in their life, they feel ashamed. They sense their nakedness. And so the scripture says they go and hide. They failed. Ah, we messed it up. And now they feel shame. And so they go and hide because they think there's no way God wants anything to do with us. Now we messed up. And so in our shame and our nakedness, we're going to go hide from God. But the scripture says that as they're hiding, they begin to hear a noise in the garden. They begin to hear something moving. The scripture says that it's God. He's in the garden and he's moving and he's looking and God is looking. The scripture says that while they're hiding, God was making a noise. While they were hurting, God began making a noise. And while they were failing, God was making a noise. Even in their doubting, God's making a noise. And this is the noise that he was making. We find it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. It says, Then the Lord called to them, or to the man, and said, Where are you? Because God doesn't want us hiding from him in our failures. So where are you? I want to be close to you. I want to show up in your life when you're doubting. I want to show up in your life when you're hurting. I want to show up in your life when you're failing. God's desire always has been and always will be to be close to us, to show up for us, to appear to us. That's what a big part of the message of the resurrection and his appearances are. God wants to be in our life. Are you with me today? So point three is God shows up in our failures. But with nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, you may be in here this morning, you may be going like, Pastor Josh, I... I need God. I'm not following God. I haven't made him Lord of my life. I haven't chosen him as my savior. I, I, I need to be somebody who experiences him. I want to stop doubting. I want to move out of this place of hurting. I want God to heal me in my brokenness. If you're in here today and you say, Pastor, how do I, how do I get help from God? The book of Romans gives us an example of this. We call it the sinner's prayer. Some people call it the prayer of salvation. It's the same thing. But I believe with all my heart that what we're called to do is we're called to call on the name of God, believe in our heart and pray and confess our need for salvation. Romans lays it out for us. Romans 10, nine says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart, you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth, you profess your faith and are saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, pastor, I want that. I want God to show up in my life. I want to move from doubting to believing in an experience. You say, I want to come out of this hurting and I want God to meet me where I am. Whatever place you find yourself in, you say, pastor, I want to be a part of that. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or put your hand up or do anything crazy, but right where you are, 
I am going to ask you to pray a prayer because the scripture says, confess with your mouth. All of us are going to pray the prayer out loud. So you're not going to be singled out in any way. But if you mean it in your, in your heart, when you confess it with your mouth, I believe that salvation is yours. Forgiveness of sin. I believe that you're then on your way to heaven. Your eternity becomes one that's set for heaven. So if you're in here today and you say, Pastor, I want to experience that today. I want God to show up in my life that way for me. Then all of us together, even watching online, let's repeat these words. Say, God, today I choose you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and help me to walk with you all the days of my life. I believe you sent your son Jesus and he died and rose again for me. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all applaud them really good, nice and loud. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, uh, we have a free gift for you down the hallway past the coffee bar. We have a prayer room. You'll see a sign for that. We got a free book back there that helps you with some of your next steps. What does it look like to walk with God and figure out how to do all this kind of stuff? It's a really easy read. We want to give that to you for free. And so step back there and pick up that book. Again, I promise they're not going to try to sign you up for anything or, or do anything like that. But get that book and, um, and get connected and reading that. There's a lot of great churches in our town. The most important thing you can do is get plugged into a church. We hope it's here, but if it's any of the other churches, we encourage you to get connected and start experiencing God. Amen. And uh, I want you to walk away just knowing this today on Easter, but then also on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, the rest of your life, we serve a God who shows up for us. Amen. He's not far off. He's right close. And, um, and that's something that should empower us every day. Amen.